got all of that data, not just for states, cities, counties, neighborhoods, you know, specifically neighborhoods. And so I think that's really key. Um, we provide this tool to brokers to help them rank better for their local markets. And that's incredibly important. So how do you compete with these massive Goliaths who have unlimited funds to spend? You do that by competing at a local level. That's something that they really can't do. No matter how much money they have, they cannot compete at the local level the way that you can. And so as you indicated, long-term, we do plan to roll out a national search portal to generate leads for our agents in the markets that we service, but also to generate leads for other agents in the markets that we're not in yet. So we're using our data from LiveBuy to do exactly what we're helping other brokerages do, and that's compete against those companies whose, let's be honest, their long-term goal is to put us out of business. If you're going to buy leads, buy them from a company who wants to help you stay relevant and not see your demise. So you're basically thinking of competition for Zillow, sounds like. <laughs> Without saying their name, yes. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Velt, managing editor of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts share their success secrets, trends, and lessons learned navigating this ever-changing industry. For more insightful interviews with real estate executives, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. I got an opportunity to talk to Josh Harley, the CEO of Fathom Holdings, and it was really nice to learn a little bit more about the company and their business model. I haven't spoken to him yet. Um, I've spoken to some leaders at the company, but not to him. So this podcast reveals a lot about what their growth strategy is, but most important, I thought, was their push to encourage other brokers and agents to use their technology and also to sign up for leads through them, which is a business that they're building. In addition to the brokerage, their plan really is to build a national search portal that will compete with Zillow. So I think you're going to find this podcast extremely um, interesting, and I appreciate you listening. This is Tracy Velt, Editorial Director for Real Trends. Today, you'll be listening to an exclusive interview with Josh Harley, founder, chairman, and CEO of Fathom Holdings. Fathom Realty ranked number 15 in transaction sides and number 22 in sales volume in the 2021 Real Trends 500 rankings. Started in 2010, Fathom went public in 2020. They offer their agents low fees, and they're a virtual company that also offers stock options. So welcome, Josh. Thank you for having me, Trace. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So um, I look forward to talking to you because I've, I've spoken with Wendy a couple of times, but I've never actually had an interview or, or spoken with you. So it's about time. It should have happened a long time ago. No, there's a reason why you speak to Wendy. She's she's uh, much, much better looking, much better spoken than I am. She's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I talked to her at the Gathering of Eagles this year. So she's amazing. So I want to start the podcast talking about your growth, which is really you've you've moved up the Realtrends rankings five spots by sides, 15 spots by sales volume. You know, everybody knows the housing market was on fire, but that type of growth is still pretty impressive. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your growth strategy 
And has it changed in the past year? Sure, sure. So you know, first, I think since I launched Fathom in 2010, I don't believe we've seen less than 50% growth each year. And I'm very proud of that growth, especially when we built the company on a shoestring budget and, and not with a bunch of capital from outside investors. You know, that's something a lot of people do. And it, it unfortunately, you, you lose a lot of your a lot of your power, a lot of your say, a lot of your decision making because they want they want to participate in what you do and what you decide. So, you know, I feel very blessed that we didn't have that, you know, as we grew the company. You know, our growth strategy for building our agent base really hasn't changed since inception. It's simple and it's really just a two-part strategy. I think first, it's by creating an incredible value exchange. In other words, what they get for what they pay. You know, we, we do that by giving an agent everything that they could otherwise get from any of the largest traditional brands, but at a fraction of the cost. We, we give our agents all the same technology, training, and support while only charging a flat $450 transaction fee per sale, right? In fact, the average agent, right, the average agent who joins Fathom saves around $12,000 per year, with many saving over $60,000 per year. But simply saving money, simply saving agents money is really not enough. It, it really comes down to the value proposition, right? An agent has to ask themselves, what am I giving up to keep more money? And if the answer is nothing, they're giving nothing up, then it's a very easy decision for them. And by the way, I, I have no interest. I think this is really key. I have no interest in being the cheapest game in town. Uh, there's not, that's not the point, certainly not the key to our success. There are a lot of companies who are far cheaper than we are, and yet we're growing when they're not. It actually reminds me of that movie. You know, there's that movie. There's something about Mary. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. when the serial killer's in the car and, it, and his business idea to compete against the eight-minute abs video is to put out the seven-minute abs video. <laughs> right. At, at, to what point, at to which point, you know, Ben suggests the six-minute abs, right? Of course, and the serial killer freaks out. The, the point, though, is that if, you're, if you think that simply being cheaper is going to always win, then you're fooling yourself. People will not buy cheap crap just because it's cheap. They will choose a lesser expensive option if all things are equal. I think that's really key. Uh, I want to make one more point to that. And I, I don't mean to keep jumping on my, on my uh, stool here, but um, I think the point is that you got to keep in mind that solid growth is a balancing act of, of recruiting and retention. If you've got a great value proposition and can attract a lot of agents into the front door, but then you can't keep them, then you need to really plug those holes in your business. That ultimately happens through support and service. So we've tried to change the mindset of our, our managing brokers from being a recruiter and manager to really being a servant leader. And I know that sounds altruistic, but it's incredibly effective. So think of it this way, right? The more you place, or the more you truly serve your clients and place their needs first, the more likely they are to refer another client to you. Right? The same thing can be true for your brokerage. The more you truly serve your agents and focus on them first, the more likely they are to refer other agents to you. I mean, who can recruit more agents? You or 50 agents who love you and want to see you grow. And that's why service is so important. So we attract agents to our incredible value proposition, keep them by providing unbeatable service, and then encourage them to help us grow by placing them first. Okay. And let's talk about your strategy outside of of your agents, um, you know, where are you looking to go next? Are you looking at core services? Are you looking at, um, you know, different areas, international? Talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. So that's actually, 
one of the things we, we I guess one of the reasons we went public, I think in the first place, maybe I'll start there, mm-hmm. um, is, is the fact that there, there's a lot of things we wanted to be able to do. And because we were operating on a shoestring budget, we didn't really have the funds to do all the things we wanted to do. So uh, let me kind of touch on that first, you know, why we went public in the first place. I think that addresses that. Um, the, the first reason that we, we decided to go public is that it really helped us to, to fund our growth. And, and what we were really struggling with is growth. You know, we, we actually, when I say struggle with growth, I mean the opposite of what you might think. We were growing faster than we can keep up with. We were having to purposely hold back our growth or, or artificially hold back our growth because we didn't have the capital to support it. Uh, another reason we decided to go public was because we had a lot of brokerages approaching us who were interested in merging or being acquired by us. Again, while we wanted to, to acquire them, where we didn't have the capital or the ability to leverage our stock to make you know, those acquisitions happen. And the last reason we went public was we wanted to ramp up our tech offering and launch mortgage, title, and insurance. And so that kind of goes back to the point, what other services? And so since us going public about 14 months ago, we acquired a mortgage company, a title company, and an insurance company. And we've been working on building out the rest of our technology uh, platform. Again, all that requires capital. And so for us, taking the company public just made sense, but it wasn't easy. In fact, outside of being a Marine, it's one of the hardest things that I've ever done. Uh, the last thing I'll say is that, you know, unless you have a darn good reason for going public, uh, I'd recommend staying private and just raising capital through debt or, or private equity because you'll save yourself a lot of stress and scrutiny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there are, you know, I've talked to a couple brokers who they are choosing not to go public for that very reason. Um, they are getting getting um, some venture capital. So and I want to talk a little bit about that because I read an article that um, said you, you said you get asked all the time, you know, why did you go public so quickly, but that you don't regret it. So are there some lessons that you learned through the process that you could share with other brokers? Yeah, I think the first thing is whether you go public or whether you raise capital or no matter what, or you bring in friends and family, you know, you should start thinking about how you run the company today. Um, always think about running the business as if you're public or running it as if you're you're being scrutinized by an outside group. Because if you decide, let's say next year that you want to go public or you decide to raise capital, it took us two years to go public. Two years of no less than 60 to 70 hours a week on top of doing our regular day-to-day job. And so we would not have had to spend that much time if we'd been running the books that way from the beginning, right? So if you're a brand new, if you're an agent right? thinking about starting a business, think about getting an accountant, a CPA from day one and structuring your books the right way. Think about how you want to do it, you know, whether cash or accrual accounting, you know, think about all of that from day one, because you're going to save yourself a lot of time and a lot of stress later on by just setting up from day one the right way. It's a lot more work, but it's worth it long-term. And if you decide to sell the company someday, if you, in fact, we've made several acquisitions and we plan to make several more, you know, we, we go and we look at these smaller companies and we look at their books and they're a nightmare. You know, it takes us nine months to make an acquisition sometimes because they've got to clean up their books first. They're going to be part of a public company now, right? So they're selling their company into a public company. And so we need to clean up their books because they have to be audited too, right? So there's, that's one of the things I'd recommend is that think about that right now. Even if you just, just decide to raise money, a private, you know, private investor or a private equity firm or VC or whoever you go to is going to expect to be able to look at your books, you know, on a, on a very regular basis and they better be clean. So I think that's that's key. The other thing I'd, I'd, I'd add is that 
always be thinking about you know future growth, what that's going to look like. So today you may have 100 agents and you want to grow to 200 agents or 500 agents or 1,000 agents. You got to think about what does that look like tomorrow? What works for you today with 100 agents will not work for you with 1,000 agents. What works for you with 1,000 agents will not work with you know, for you for 5,000 agents. You have to always be thinking about how do I reinvent myself along the way and get a head start? Don't wait until you've grown yourself into, into a pain point and now you're losing agents because the agents, they don't feel like they're being serviced because you don't have enough people, enough support, enough technology, enough whatever to support those people. So always be thinking bigger than you already are. Now, if you have no intention of growing, then, then that doesn't matter. But if you think you're going to get to 1,000 agents from being at 100 today, think about what will it take to actually run 1,000 agents and then times that by two because you're, you're I trust me, you're not thinking big enough. It takes a lot more than you realize. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, obviously Real Trends has, has facilitated quite a few um, mergers and acquisitions and um, the books are one of the biggest uh, trip ups that they find in it. And, you know, they spend a lot of time cleaning, helping the broker clean them up before sure. a sale and that yeah. too. So, and as part of your growth strategy, how, how big does M&A factor into it? Um, is it like a small percentage? Is it just an opportunistic percentage? You know, what are you, what are you looking at there? That's a fantastic question. Um, it, it's, it's really more opportunistic, right? And, and the reason for that is because you know, you don't always, not every single market is going to have an, an acquisition opportunity that's right for you. And we've talked to companies that were bigger than we are about acquisitions, but there was so much hair on the deal that they want to do the deal and we didn't. It's like, I'm sorry, I have zero interest in working with you or working with that situation. It was just, it's ugly, right? So, you know, we, we're always looking for opportunities. We, we talked to, there's probably no less than a company per week that we're talking to about a possible acquisition. Um, and that's them reaching out to us. It's not us reaching out to them. And so that, that's interesting to think, right? We're not actively out there calling companies. These are companies saying, I know, in fact, this happened recently. I know you're moving to my market. I don't want to compete with you. I'd rather be part of it and be one of the leaders in that market, right? So I thought that was really interesting and, and very smart. You know, I'm not going to say that we would have beat them, but I, I really appreciate that, that, that opportunity. So the way, the way, I guess where I'm going with that is right now, about 35 to 40% of our growth is from our own agents referring other agents. And that's without a multi-level marketing aspect of our business, right? That's just because we take care of them, we serve them, and we treat them well. Um, we, of course, we do ask them to help refer and help us grow. Um, that's about, again, 30 to 40, 35 to 40% of our, our growth. Um, acquisitions make up a very small percentage, but it's something that over time we'd love to see increase. But I doubt it'll ever even make up 25%. Certainly will never make up more than you know, our, just our agents referring other agents. The rest of it is just you know organic growth is, is putting our marketing message out there through PR, through things like you know, working with real trends, working with you know Riz Media or Inman or anyone else, you know, as more people hear about us, they get interested and they they reach out to us. So that plays a big, a big role in, in, in growth as well. But going back to the merge and acquisitions piece, you know, you want to be very careful because there's a lot of companies out there who they want to be acquired or you know they want to acquire. Uh, sometimes they think they're worth more than they really are. You know, they're making, they're, they're not even able to pay their own bills. They're on the verge of going bankrupt. And yet they want $10 million for their company. I'm like, I'm sorry, you're, you're not worth 10 million. And no one would say you are, you know, I want to give you what you're, what you deserve. Now, in fact, I want to give you more because if we're going to work with you long-term, I want this to be a win-win for both of us. If, if I, if I acquire your company and I screw you over, you're going to always resent that acquisition. 
And then our working relationship is not going to make sense. So I always want to make sure that you walk away feeling like you won. I'd rather lose some on my side, knowing that you feel like you won on your side, because that means we're going to have a great relationship long-term and you're going to be much more involved in helping us grow long-term. So I think a few things there, but one last thing I'll say to that is, you know, right now we're in about 33 states. We're looking to get into all 50 states, hopefully over the next two years. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of markets we're not in yet. So just because we're in 33 states doesn't mean we're in every market of those states. So going into new market makes a lot more sense acquiring a company with 50 agents or 500 agents versus starting with one managing broker, then adding one agent, then two, then three. You know, it takes a year to get to 50 agents. It takes two years to get to 100, 120 agents. It takes time. I'd much rather start a new market with you know 50 or 100 agents from day one because it just it makes it a lot easier. You got immediately you got signs and yards. People start knowing who you are. It really helps you tell the story. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about live by because I think um, you know I interview a lot of CEOs, real estate broker leaders, and um, several of them have mentioned that hyper local aspect to community pages, property pages, um, and that and. So you're giving that neighborhood information and a lot of them haven't figured out how to get that information to even give them. So, um, and I thought it was interesting that you mentioned it's also part of your plan to have a national home search portal. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I I think first, I think it's important to understand that we actually own all of our own technology. That includes home search, CRM, transaction management, personal management, accounting, and everything in between. You know, our goal is not just to service our agents, though. We want to service the whole industry. You know, there's a reason that we can charge a fraction of what other brokerages charge and yet get the profitability five times faster. You know, our technology allows us to do more with less by automating many of the processes. Uh, it allows us to operate completely virtually, uh, requires fewer personnel and staff, right? There, there are a lot of companies who need what we have to offer. In fact, we already have over 400 brokerages paying us for our technology or data. You know, we believe that we can help other brokerages reduce their costs and build more profitable business as well. So specifically regarding LiveBy, LiveBy is many things, but essentially it's big data aggregation and hyper-local content creation. Um, big data aggregation to the point that we've got well over a million, in fact, several million data points. You know, not I mean records, I mean data points. And so you're talking about schools and shopping, you're talking about geolocation, you're talking about um, plat lines. We've got all of that data, not just for states, cities, counties, neighborhoods, you know, specifically neighborhoods. And so I think that's really key. Um, We provide this tool to brokers to help them rank better for their local markets. And that's incredibly important. So how do you compete with these massive Goliaths who have unlimited funds to spend? You do that by competing at a local level. That's something that they really can't do. No matter how much money they have, they cannot compete at the local level the way that you can. And so as you indicated, long-term, we do plan to roll out a national search portal to generate leads for our agents in the markets that we service, but also to generate leads for other agents in the markets that we're not in yet. So we're using our data from LiveBy to do exactly what we're helping other brokerages do. And that's compete against those companies whose Let's be honest, the long-term goal is to put us out of business. If you're going to buy leads, buy them from a company who wants to help you stay relevant and not see your demise. So you're basically thinking of competition for Zillow, sounds like. Without saying their name, yes. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, obviously, I know 
there are a lot of misconceptions about a lot of different real estate brokerage models. Um, the low fee one or transaction fee model, you know, traditional brokers wonder how the heck are you making any money? Um, obviously, there are costs that you don't accrue based on locations, offices, you know, you're, you're saving money on that end. But what are some other misconceptions that brokerage leaders have about Fathom that you want, you know, you feel like you need to explain <laughs> that they have it wrong? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think the biggest misconception, which you alluded to, is that, is that we don't charge enough money. And therefore, how can we ever be profitable? How can we ever make money and stay in business? Uh, and as I indicated before, our technology allows us to keep our costs really low. So while we charge less to our agents, we also cost less to operate. Uh, one point I'll make to that is that, you know, we hit profitability at about 9,000 transactions per quarter while growing, you know, while having the funds to grow at 50% per year. I mean, that, that's, that's substantial. To put that in perspective, I won't name the competitor, but we've got a, a public competitor who they hit profitability at 36,000 transactions per quarter. While charging $100 per month, we charge nothing. While charging you know, 20% splits versus our $450 transaction fee, right? So they charge five times more than we do, and yet we hit profitability four times faster than they did. They hit profitability about 36,000 transactions per quarter. So again, to the idea that just because we charge less means we can't be profitable or we can't actually have bigger margins is, is false. Um, it just it really comes down to how much you spend, right? There's two ways to make more money, increase your revenue, but also decrease your costs. And that's what we're very, very good at. We're very good at being good stewards of the money we have. Um, I think the second thing is the idea that an agent has to be with one of the largest brands for clients to choose them. And that's clearly false. And, and you can see that in our numbers. In fact, the average agent who joins Fathom increases their business by 49% after joining Fathom. That, that's not because of our name brand recognition. That's because they have more money to reinvest back into their marketing, right? More marketing means more leads, more leads means more closings, more closings means more money, right? So it just, it makes a lot of sense. If you want more proof than that, you know, NAR has shown year after year that only 1% of clients chose an agent due to what brand they're with, right? That's 1%. And I'm sorry to tell you, but your brand does not matter as much as you think it does. The quality of your agents is what matters supporting and serving them is really the key. And I think the last point that I, I, I'd make is that I think many of them wrongly assume our number of closings per agent is lower than it really is. And that's just, it's frustrating, right? If, if the agent count of a brokerage is flat for the year, and then you divide that number of agents by the number of transactions, then the math works. But when you're growing between 50% and 70% per year, that math no longer works. So it's incredibly annoying when I hear someone claim that we're only closing a few homes per agent per year without actually taking even five minutes to do their homework. You know, but such is life, right? It's something we have to live with. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I know another misconception that I hear with the virtual models is that, oh, they don't have any over oversight in the states that they're oh, in or the areas they're in. So talk to me about that. Sir, so that's actually, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's when I talk about recruiting, that's something I talk about a lot. Um, you know, Dallas Fourth is one of our largest markets, and we've got well over 1,800 agents in this market alone. And yet, we've got, even though we don't have any offices in the market, not one single office in this market, we have opportunities for agents to get together, physically get together, no less than two to three times a week. 
right? So even though we don't have an office, doesn't have not have an office rather does not mean you don't physically bring people together. And I think that's a huge mistake for companies. If you you can't build culture in a vacuum. If you want to build culture, you've got to physically bring people together. You've got to serve them. You got to love on them. You got you got you have to let them know, right? Real estate tends to attract extroverts. I'm not one of those. I'm not extra. I'm more of an introvert, which is kind of weird, especially being a CEO of a real estate company. But it is what it is. Um, but we tend to attract extroverts, and extroverts need to be around other people. And so it's foolish to to build a business and never bring people together. Uh, you, you tend to build much greater culture by bringing them together through mastermind meetings, through trainings, uh, ongoing education, right? Uh, through service projects. We do that almost monthly where opportunities for, for our agents to come together and to feed the homeless or restock food kitchens, or you know, there's a lot of things we're doing, women's shelters and so on. So there, there's a lot that we can do to bring agents together. So but you don't have to have offices to do that. So I think that's a, a huge mistake. Great. Um I really appreciate your answer. So, I mean, it's interesting. So this one kind of cuts right to the chase. So tell me, who do you think your biggest competition is and why? Honestly, I, and I'm sorry for the cop-out answer, but <laughs> I, I, don't think that, I don't think that way. Right? Okay. There's plenty of business to be had by all of us. And it's important to work together against the outside forces who are trying to disrupt us all out of business. Mm-hmm. And with that said, you know, our main focus is on the old guard. So if I, instead of naming a brand, it's really the old guard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the companies who are charging their agents, these really large splits and yet not able to justify those splits. So our, our, com- our competitive advantage is that we can provide everything that they can while providing agents with significant savings. So when I recruit though, I don't focus on the savings. I really focus on the potential those savings have in helping them grow their business. Uh, you know, another advantage that we have is that we give every agent stock in the company. We, we are the only company that I know of that actually does that. We give our agents stock on every single transaction they close and for every agent they refer. And we want to make sure that every agent is an owner in the company and have them think about their brokerage relationship differently than they're used to. Okay. Um, and I, I do want to bring up a question that I didn't have on here because you talked about kind of disruptors a little bit. And and obviously, you know, Wall Street and big tech have been trying to disrupt the real estate industry for a long time. There are a lot of new financial models out there, um, like fly homes, like ribbon, like um, knock, um, offering some different products and that and some working directly with real estate agents and brokerages. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on, on them? Are you partnering with any of them? Um, you know, I'm just curious what you think about those models. Yeah. They're maybe not necessarily competition, but they're trying to no, be disruptors. Yeah, they're, they're trying to be disruptors. And, you know, there's been disruption in this industry for, for as long as any of us have been alive. Um, you know, at one point, Remax was the disruptor. You yeah. know, at, at one point, and now they're considered the old guard. At one point, you know, someday we're going to be the old guard that people are trying to disrupt out of business, mm-hmm. and even though we're kind of one of the newer models or, or the newer up and coming. Um, so that's going to happen forever. But going back, one of the, I think the misconceptions, for example, on the iBuyer, a lot of agents of all the different industry, all the different disruptors out there, that's the one that a lot of our agents are most concerned about. Mm-hmm. And one thing I'll point out, which actually Steve Murray brought to our attention, which I thought was fantastic. He, he actually spoke at one of our leadership mm-hmm. summits was sharing that, you know, if you took every single dollar that every single iBuyer had to spend 
and you bought, you took every single dollar and you bought every single home that 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 iBuyer could buy, mm-hmm. all of them combined it, and you you churn that, you turn that every two months. That's still not even six percent of the market. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Four sub by owners is over ten percent of the market. Mm-hmm. Right. So now, could they be bigger someday? There's there's no question. But can we use them to our advantage, especially right now? And the answer is yes. And so I always look at every competitor and say, number one, I like to be paranoid. Let me let me start there. I think it's important to be paranoid to some degree. Um, but I, I like to look at them and say, okay, can they put us out of business? And if so, how can I disrupt myself instead mm-hmm. of having them disrupt me? Or can I use them to our benefit? And on the iBuyer side, I think the answer is we can use them to our benefit. Um, the fact is, the, a lot of the iBuyers need us. We still generate a lot of the, once they need us, I mean, us as an industry, we generate a lot of the leads for them. So, you know, we've got a lot of agents who will actually advertise the iBuyer type program and they'll generate, you know, 20 leads from that, you know, and, and so these are potential sellers that say, I'd love to know what my home is worth and I'm thinking about selling. They go in and they present, let's say, two or three different offers from different iBuyers as well as their listing package. And what they find is that, only one out of 10 times will that, that seller say, okay, I'll go with the iBuyer because we've got to sell tomorrow. We can't wait 30 days. But the rest of the time, they've got these opportunities. So, you know, some of those times the sellers can say, well, I'm not interested. But a lot of the times the sellers walk away and say, I'd rather just list with you. I'd rather just wait 30 more days and yet make more money on my property. Yeah. And so that iBuyers actually give us an opportunity, a new, interesting marketing spin that we've never had before. So I think that if, if we look at all these different disruptors and think about their business and ask ourselves, how can we use it to our advantage, right? We should be playing chess, not checkers, right? Don't be reactive, right? Be proactive. Start thinking several moves ahead. How do we use that to our advantage or how do we do the same thing? Yeah. And I, I think that's really um, interesting. Real estate has traditionally been a reactive um, industry. And I do think that's changing. I, I feel like there are a lot of brokerage leaders out there who are definitely more proactive um, than reactive um, today. So, so that I love the I love the take on that. Um, and so, I want to talk to you about: Have you seen any changes in the brokerage environment that may change the way you operate now, or a change that would cause you to add new services or do something differently? No, there really isn't. You know, actually, let me go back in time a little bit, right? If you think about the beginning of the pandemic, um, a lot of brokerages were struggling to figure out, you know, where they were, right? Where where are they going? What what's happened to this pandemic? How do they stay in business? And one of the things that we didn't have to worry about that we were already virtual. We we didn't have to worry about saying, sorry, agents, you can't come into the office. You know, agents complain that I'm having to pay monthly fees still, and yet I can't use the office space. So we're not paying the monthly fees for, which is a silly thought process, but it is what it is. You know, a lot of people t- tend to think that the office is what they're paying the fees for, um, not the technology or, or the, the managing broker that's there or whatever else is, is part of it. But that's the, the thought process. Yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of these companies found themselves paralyzed for a few months. Um, you know, for us, we didn't skip a beat. In fact, our Q2 of last year was one of the strongest in the, in the industry, strongest of all the publicly traded companies. And so when you think about it, you know, if you look at our Q2 of this year, we had really strong results as well. But if, you're, if you've got really strong results coming off of really poor results, then even coming back to normal, even coming back to break even is going to look like really strong growth year over year. But for us, we had really strong growth stacked on top of really strong growth. And so I was really proud of that fact. But the fact that we were already virtual 
we didn't have to miss a beat. You know, so when the pandemic hit, when office started closing down, we weren't really losing. Um, so that that was that was interesting. But going back, you know, there's there's not really any services that we're not already working on rolling out. Um, you know, there's a lot of disruptors and wannabe disruptors out there, as we just talked about. But you have to be a little bit paranoid, as I said. Like you want if you want to survive, you got to be a little paranoid. You want to always. You can also be too paranoid, right? And find find yourself always trying to copy and, and play catch up to what other people are doing. I think it's really important to find your niche and build walls around your niche so that you can't be disruptive. You know, I think that's really the key to longevity. Always look for ways to provide more value than you charge and you'll do just fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what about, where do you see the big opportunities in the real estate brokerage industry um, in the coming year? I think the biggest opportunity that comes to mind might also be the biggest challenge. And I'm referring to consolidation. Yeah. Um, when I talk about consolidation, I'm going to first talk about this consolidation of brokerages, but also of mortgage, title, insurance, and the rest. Right? How do you, how do you, uh, how do you allow your pro- your your brokerage to be more profitable per transaction? Um, you know, right now there are literally thousands of small and even large brokerages who are struggling to pay their bills and stay in business. Many of them are thinking about hanging it up uh, after decades of service. Like I've I talked to one where the business had been their their family for three generations. And they were one or two months away from having to file bankruptcy. That, that's really sad state for a lot of brokers to be in. And this pandemic has hurt a lot of people, especially the smaller ones that didn't have the capital to, to be able to fall back on. Uh, the opportunity is different depending on where you are as a company. If you're like us and, and you have the, the means, then now is a great opportunity to increase your market share through mergers and acquisitions. On the flip side, if you're struggling, there are companies like Fathom who would love to talk to you about joining our family rather than trying to go at it alone. You know, let's build something even bigger together. So I think merge and acquisitions from one side, I think is a huge opportunity right now. Mm-hmm. The other piece, and you're starting to see more and more of this consolidation in regards to the other services, which you alluded to. And that's the idea that how do I be more profitable per transaction? And the way to do that is, is one, Mortgage, that's obvious, right? By adding a mortgage company or a joint venture or something else allows you to, to generate more profitability on every transaction. Title, insurance, these are things that we've already done. So we've got mortgage title insurance as well. Another thing that we're doing is providing leads to agents. So right now, while we make $450 per transaction on the leads that they generate, if we provide a lead to them, now we can take 40% of the commission. And their agents are happy to pay because they're already paying Zillow or someone else for that, that same type of split. And so they'd much rather fund their own company versus fund the, the competition you know, or fund a, a company who wants to put them out of business long-term. No matter what they say, maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist, I don't know, but you know, every move they make you know, looks in that direction. So um, look, at, I think it's important to, to always be thinking about the opportunity right now is always be thinking about how do you increase your profitability per transaction? Now, I'm going to ask a question because I just thought of it when you were talking about live by and offering it to other brokerages or brokers. How um, how do your agents feel about that competition? Are you providing leads to other? Can you explain that to me? Um, Because, you know, it seems like the Fathom agents would be upset about you selling leads to other companies. So talk to me about that. So first of all, you know, Fathom agents get first right to fuse on the lead side. So in the markets that we service, we'll be providing leads to Fathom agents. In the markets we don't service, which by the way, 
the United States is a big country, right? There's 1.4 million realtors and we only have about 7,000 of them. So it's not like exactly we, we've got full coverage. So, you know, providing leads to, to markets, it's not really competition for them. Um, if there's agents in that market, they get the first opportunity. If we've got more leads than we have agents, then, then you know, it is what it is, right? So we've talked to a lot of our agents, especially the top producing agents said, how do you feel about us providing leads to other companies? How do you feel about us providing technology to other companies you know, with the mindset of we're not just looking to make more money, we're looking to how do we help this industry be better, right? Yes, I want to be profitable. Yes, I'm a capitalist. I know that's a sin word for some people, but I'm a capitalist, right? You know, and so I want to be more profitable. I want to make more money. But at the same time, if I want to survive, I want this industry to survive, then we need to work together. And so if I'm able to do something because of our technology that a lot of other companies need, then I want to help them. I want to help them be able to be more profitable and survive because I need them just like just as much as they need us. Competition is good and it's healthy. It makes us all better. Um, at the end of the day, you're never going to have one company that has all agents. That would be absurd. I think the, the I think the government probably want to get involved at that point and break you up, right? So we've talked to the agents, but one thing I'll say is on the technology side, while we do provide a lot of technology for other companies, we don't provide the whole thing. In other words, there's still an advantage to being part of Fathom. There's more bells and whistles that you get that a non-Fathom agent would not get or a brokerage would not get. The real value to the brokerage, especially once you roll out a full platform, is, a, is an all-in-one single platform to where, you know, from, you, from where you spend your money on the marketing side to that the leads coming in to be able to track where those leads are coming from, which leads convert more um, so, for example, you may spending $1,000 per month here and $1,000 per month there. This one source may give you half as many leads. So, you might think that the ones giving more leads is better when, re- when in reality, the one providing less leads is actually closing at a much higher percentage, mm-hmm. right? So, you actually may want to gen- spend more money on the one that's clo- that's providing less leads, but more closings, right? Mm-hmm. So, having a system that allows you to track from cradle to grade the full life cycle of both the client, but also the agent as well. So an agent's not having to log into four different systems for you know marketing themselves to working with the lead um, to converting that into a buyer. And now they're in the transaction management platform to getting paid to you know lo- and then long term um, you know working with that sphere now, right? So yeah. having one system makes it easier for your agents, makes it easier for you, keeps your costs lower, and honestly, you've got much greater view of your business, a much greater business intelligence because you can see how everything works together versus having little bits of data at these five different sites or you know all the different platforms you're using. So there's a there's a huge advantage that that I think we can provide without trying to be greedy, without trying to take advantage. And by the way, one thing I'll, I'll say too for those brokers who say I would never give Fathom my data. You know, one of the thing that we're doing is because I care about that too. Like I'll I'll go on a I'll go on a a demo of someone else's product, and you see this God view. And so in their God view, I can see all these other brokerages. They, with one click, they could go and, and, and see what every other brokerage is doing. And I hate that. And so what we've done is built into our platform the ability or rather the inability for us to see anything. In fact, I cannot see anyone else's data. I can't see your leads. I can't see where the leads are going, where they're coming from. I can't see any of it. It's all encrypted. In fact, if I want access to your system, you would have to personally go into your system click a button to give me temporary access. So if I need to troubleshoot something for you, and then as soon as I log out, I can't get back in unless you give me access again. 
right? And even while I'm in, I can't pull anything out. I can't screenshot. I can't do anything. So, you know, we do a lot to make sure that if you are going to work with us, um, that we're that you don't have to fear that we're taking your data. Um, by the way, under Fathom Holdings, we've got Fathom Realty, which is separate from our technology company. So IntelliAgent has its own group of leaders, its own PL, its own, it's its own business. So it's not like the CEO of Fathom Realty is over there trying to snoop on what all the other companies are doing. So we, we take that very seriously. That's so interesting. I I did not um I didn't know I didn't know that. Um and I just, I mean, I know a lot of um, companies that are developing their own in-house tech and and cloud, you know, completely cloud-based in a true sense of cloud-based, who have chosen not to, not to share it or sell it or license it. And um, it's just fascinating to me, the different models out there. And I totally agree with you that competition is good and that it makes everyone better, everybody stronger. And even, I mean, I think, I can't remember the exact number with the Real Trends 500, even the top 500 companies had, you know, they, they cover, but a certain percentage of the market that is a lot lower than you would think it is as yes. far as market share. Um, right. So I just, I love hearing about all these different models and, and how they there's, work. So there's yeah. 86,000 brokerages, right? <laughs> 86, now, some of them are just, you know, husband and wife team that, that have their own brokerage. But I think the average brokerage size is, is around 10 or, I mean, it's just, it's a small brokerage, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And, and they need help, you know? Yeah. So if you imagine one of the benefits of being part of a larger company is the fact that you've got the buying power or being part of a collective from that right. standpoint, you got the buying power. So for example, when I, when I ran, you know, when the company was small, if I wanted to being a trainer and in that train, let's say I got hundred agents, and that trainer was $10,000. Well, that's a hundred dollars per agent for that training. But at a thousand agents, now it's only ten dollars per agent. At ten thousand agents, only one dollar per agent, and yet it's the same trainer, the same training, and everyone's being it's being disseminated across all of them. So there is one, there is a value to being part of the larger group. Is that the technology costs become smaller and smaller? So one of the the values to building your own technology in house, especially at size, mm-hmm. is that the bigger you get, the lower the cost per agent becomes. If you're always licensing your technology, which by the way, even the biggest companies still are licensing most of the technology, your cost per agent continues to go up. Every time you add another agent, your costs overall go up. Our costs go down per agent as we grow. So there are some real advantages, but it doesn't come without real costs, but also real conflict or or difficulty, right? Because most most real estate companies are just a realtor, I should say just a, are a realtor who built a team and later built a brokerage and made that brokerage now a thousand agents, right? It's incredible, but they're still the realtors, not technologists. Yeah. You know, I was a technologist and also a successful realtor. And so I know how to actually write code. You know, mm-hmm. I actually built our, our Fathom Careers website. You know, I, it, I've done a lot of the stuff myself. And so I know what it actually takes. And then our, our, our COO, actually ran four large software companies, over 400 developers in one of them. And so we actually have the expertise to also run a technology company as well. Um, That's where I think an area that a lot of people struggle with is how do you do both? And you really can't unless you have that expertise or hire that expertise. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, My last question is uh, what's next? What's next for the company? that's, That's a tough one to answer because, you know, being a public company, we're not allowed to make forward-looking statements, as you know. Sure. So I'll, yeah. I'll try to be very careful. I think first, I think it's important to understand that, that we have no interest in having the most agents. Uh, but what I do want some days is to close the most transactions in every market we're in. 
And so in fact, a lot of agents ask that question. You know, I'd rather have one agent closing 20 sales than 20 agents closing one sale. Uh, you know, I want a brokerage that I can be proud of. And I think agents want that as well. You know, so when someone says I want a thousand agents, I have to always ask why, you know, what's the end game? You know, I'd rather say I want 10,000 transactions or 20,000 transactions because that that's real at the end of the day. That's how the agents get paid. That's how you get paid. That's really more important than just body count. Uh, it's easy to, to fill a brokerage with thousands and thousands of agents who close no business. And so that should never be someone's, you know, agent count should never be someone's priority unless it's really focused on agent count of quality agents. Uh, second is, and we talked about this earlier, but I do expect us to start rolling out even more of our technology offerings to brokerages next year uh, and launch our national, our national search portal next year as well. Uh, I think the last thing I'd say is, you know, I think you'll see a lot more acquisitions from Fathom as we talk to more brokerages and open up new markets. As I mentioned, we're already in 33 states, and I hope that you know, very quickly, hopefully in the next two years, we'll be in all 50 states. Okay, great. Well, Josh, thank you so much for joining the Real Trending Podcast. I appreciate chatting with you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. To stay up to date on the current trends in the industry, subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more.